Welcome to the Space for Faith podcast. Today we have a recorded session of Thrive, hosted by the Reverend Ash Leighton Plom from St. David's Church in Exeter. Thank you and welcome once again to Thrive. Uh, really, really good to see you guys as uh, you all come in. Thank you for being here. Thank you for not uh, sunbathing um, or swimming at the beach. Um, it's nice that we've got this opportunity to uh, gather together and thank you for honouring that time. We can um, gather together now uh, to explore some scripture, uh, also some tradition. Uh, by which I mean what other people have said about scripture. I think sometimes tradition in some Christian circles is a dirty word. Uh, Jesus seemed to criticise the tradition of the Pharisees, but and tradition in a Christian context can mean uh, what other wise Christians have said about scripture. And so we uh, receive from them the fruits of their study, uh, their I'm not prayer. Sure that he was criticizing the Pharisees um, looking at the scriptures and the tradition of the scriptures he was criticizing their attitude yeah a, a way to approach yeah absolutely so uh, whether they were being what well, one of my favorite examples of that would be the, the law said to um, if you're growing crops in a field, uh, to leave some at the edge for the poor to gather. So those who didn't have their own could have a little bit of yours. And um, the wrong way to approach that, which Jesus very clearly rebuked, was that some people were saying, um, can I, how much can I get away with leaving? You know, can I just leave a tiny, tiny amount in order to fulfill the law? Like, what's the barest minimum? Um, that I can do in order to fulfill the law. And Jesus says, and look, that is clearly not the point. Uh, the point is to leave enough uh, so that people can um, receive what they need. And you should be thinking about them, not yourself. Yeah. So absolutely, it's to do with how we approach scripture. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll just um, reflect on these, uh, this question on the screen. What differences and similarities can you list between Judaism and Christianity? Um, We'll stay muted uh, for now, just in the silence and reflect on uh, this. Some people see the two religions as very different. Some see them as uh, perhaps uh, siblings. Others might say that Christianity is a continuation uh, or contemporary manifestation of Judaism. In a way, we'll be exploring uh, those views in this session today which is on the topic of uh, dispensations. And welcome to those of you just joining us. It's great to see you. Come on in, uh, make yourselves comfy as we prepare to look at a, a bit of an overview of the Bible uh, today kind of starting literally from Genesis, the first book of the Bible, um, and skimming all the way through to Revelation, uh, the last book. Uh, we'll be unpacking some of the key themes and um, hopefully 
uh, blowing your minds with some uh, awesome stuff from the Lord. Just allow another couple of minutes while people arrive. A little reminder, uh, we're going to be considering uh, some of the differences and similarities between Judaism and Christianity. I'm not going to test you on this, but if you want to uh, write some down, if that's how you process, or you just want to be visualizing some uh, similarities and differences in your mind, uh, that's great. And we'll be going into this topic uh, together in about the next hour, uh, finishing around five o'clock with a little bit of time uh, available afterwards for those of you who want to stick around uh, and just uh, vibe and chat. So today we are looking at dispensations. Uh, before we go into what on earth dispensations are, I wanted to give a very quick uh, overview of the books of the Bible. Um, uh, some of you will know that the Bible is uh, comprised of, I think it's 66 books, uh, if memory serves, uh, across the Old Testament and the New Testament. Um, this helpful bookcase uh, graphic reminds us that the Bible is not just one book, uh, but it is a collection of books. It is, in fact, like a library of, uh, of small books. And so uh, uh, this graphic also helpfully divides the uh, books of the Bible into um, several clear sections. Let me talk you through them, especially for those uh, who might be listening to this on podcast after the session. Um, the first section, first five books of the Bible are the Pentateuch. Uh, that just means five books, um, also called the law, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy. Um, that's followed by uh, the history books, uh, which recall the history of Israel, uh, the people of Israel, people of Judea, uh, in the Holy Land, uh, in the exiles, and in their return to the Holy Land. Uh, history books written by contemporaries uh, who lived it and uh, recorded what was going on. Then we have the poetry section, um, for example, Psalms and Proverbs, uh, which uh, are some of the most beautiful poems ever written. And I know a great many of us have maybe a favourite psalm and uh, perhaps even a favourite proverb. Then you have the major prophets, uh, major just because they're larger books, um, lots of chapters to these uh, particular heavy hitters, uh, Isaiah, Jeremiah. Uh, Lamentations is shorter, but it's written by Jeremiah, Ezekiel and Daniel. And these are prophets. Um, prophets in scripture doesn't mean um necessarily foretelling the future but it basically means a warning uh, calling out the things that are wrong in the contemporary society a prophet can uh, see where god's will is not being met so if the poor are being oppressed a prophet calls it out and um, warns that god may in fact withdraw his blessing if uh, the people are um uh, acting unrighteously towards one another so that's the major prophets. Then you have the minor prophets, collection of um, smaller books with a ton of names that almost no one can remember. Um, and uh, these minor prophets do the same job as the major prophets, uh, but they are less uh, verbose. They use fewer words. Uh, 
That brings us to the end of the Old Testament. In the New Testament, you've got uh, the Gospels that introduce the story of Jesus, uh, the birth, the life, the death and the resurrection uh, of our Lord Jesus, uh, his teachings, uh, what he does for us on the cross and um, his uh, awesome resurrection from the grave, his ascension into heaven. Uh, the narrative continues then uh, with church history. So the Gospels are historical narrative of uh, Jesus's life, uh, written from the perspectives of uh, eyewitnesses or those who researched it later. And similarly, the Book of Acts continues the story. Um, we then have the letters, uh, also called epistles. And uh, we're going to be looking at an epistle next week. Uh, we're going to be doing a kind of in-depth study of the letter of James. Uh, it being St. James's Day next Sunday. So I'd love to uh, welcome you to that for a kind of close look at just one book. Uh, today, we're going to be doing an overview of the whole Bible. Uh, next week, we're going to be demonstrating how you can do uh, an in-depth study on just one book and then um, take out kind of greater depth from just one uh, section. Um, then finally, uh, a little bit of prophecy to end um, the uh, New Testament, the book of Revelation. And just like those Old Testament prophets, um, John, uh, the revelator who wrote um, the revelation, uh, is calling out some of the sins in the society around him, uh, warning of God's judgment, also promising uh, God's blessing uh, on those who uh, pursue his way. So that brings us to a kind of end of that sort of overview of the books of the Bible as a, a library, books on a shelf. I've got this graphic as well for those of you who hate the idea of kind of books on a shelf. This is the periodic table of the Bible. Um, it just says exactly what I said, uh, but in uh, a kind of representation, not unlike the periodic table of elements. Uh, I, I quite like it. It's a bit of fun. Um, so I'm, I'm not going to dwell on that, but just you can see, you know, some of the points that I was just uh, identifying there if you're looking at that graphic. Um, finally, I want to uh, plug something called the Bible course. I thought that we might use the Bible course in sessions um, in uh, the new year after our August socials. I thought it might be fun to um, uh, share this course. Uh, sorry for those of you who've already done it, but I think it does pay restudy. Um, we might maybe do an alpha course first and then go into the Bible course. Once again, it offers an overview of the grand narrative of the Bible. And that's what we're going to be looking at really in this session. Um, we've looked at all of those different books that make up the Bible. I've just briefly told you all of those books from Genesis to Revelation. Um, but what's the grand narrative? What are the main uh, kind of story arcs, if you will, um, of this uh, true story of God's uh, dealings with uh, humanity? Um, over time, his poetic story uh, in, in the poetic books, um, the, the, the prophetic warnings of what's uh, a consequence of living unrighteously and the prophetic promises of the blessings that come from uh, being a people of love, uh, of grace, of mercy. So this graphic, the Bible course, shows a uh, story Genesis to Revelation and um, the circle at the beginning, Genesis, um, starting with creation followed by a dip which is representing the fall, uh, Adam and Eve's rebellion uh, and um, the, the satanic rebellion, the turn from God, the rejection of God 
leading to the fall. Um, the next uh, image represents a kind of refresh or, you know, you can kind of click on your Internet Explorer to refresh the page. Um, that's essentially what God is doing very often throughout the Old Testament, is giving people the opportunity uh, to come back to him, to restore the relationship, uh, offering new promises um, or restoring the old promises, if only people will uh, will, will be uh, righteous in their dealings with one another and holy in their relationship to the Lord. There's a kind of a blind alley or, or dead end here where people might take the wrong, uh, the wrong turn and end up stuck. Uh, but ultimately, as we progress along the line, uh, we reach the cross of Christ uh, on a hill he created. Our creator uh, came from heaven to earth uh, and willingly hung on a cross to restore uh, our relationship um, with God for us. He came to us because we couldn't get to him. And then the story continues on into those promises in Revelation. So that's kind of overview of the Bible course. We'll, we'll um, uh, maybe spend some weeks on that after uh, the August uh, socials that we've got coming up. Um, we're just going to go into small groups uh, before Phil and I uh, tell you more about dispensations. Um, there's no particular uh, topic to have to uh, discuss with one another today. Um, you can literally just be kind to each other, share um, how you're doing and um, uh, what's going on for you. If you want to talk about some of the differences or similarities that you see between uh, Judaism and Christianity or your sense of an overview of the Bible, that would be fab. Um, but no pressure. We're just going to have kind of five minutes to greet one another before Phil and I uh, explain the word dispensation. So, um, Phil, we are in your hands. Uh, thank you for the research that you uh, so painstakingly put into looking this up. And um, I was really moved when you shared with me uh, your enthusiasm for this topic. Um, I, I wonder if you want to kick off uh, with that. Yes. Um, I first encountered um, the dispensations and dispensational theology many, many years ago. And at that time, I felt that it was really exciting because it was like a veil had been lifted from all the different um, stories from the Old Testament. And they all seemed to click into position a bit more. And each of the dispensational periods illustrates God's dealings with mankind and it details his extending of his love for humanity and wanting to share his creation with humanity. And it shows the failure of man at each stage, which results in a judgment. But it's not just a judgment, because thereafter, God deals with man in a different way. And I found it quite exciting to see these different dispensations and how the responsibilities of man um, developed as man developed over the um, time periods. So really it's a framework that we're looking at and within that framework we usually see an area of responsibility which God gives to man. There's usually a failure of man to live up to what God wants of mankind. Um, there's usually a judgment for that um, and 
beyond that, uh, we usually go into the next area, the ne next dispensation, where there's different responsibilities. And God is constantly reaching out in love to man to bring him into reconciliation. Um, and that's the most important thing about it. Um, so really, I'll read it this for you. Uh, dispensationalism, it's a method of interpreting history that divides God's work and purposes towards humanity into different periods from scripture. Usually, we talk about seven dispensations, although some theologians, theologians count as few as three or as many as 37. So I think for our purposes, we haven't got time for 37. So we're going to look at the main seven areas of dispensation, um, which we encounter in the Bible, going through right through from Genesis to Revelation and uh, beyond, really. <laughs> so let's have a look at that anyway in a bit more detail and uh, go on to the next slide. Awesome. Thank you. So uh, in my view, I think the ones, the people who consider there to be 37, in a way, they're subdividing um, the seven that others divide. And if we have a simpler um, uh, categorization of, let's say, three, uh, again, they've kind of collected together several of the seven into um, overarching categories. So for, for me, I think the seven is, is a good number to kind of work with. Um, and then if you want to do further research, guys, uh, feel free to uh, look things up. But do come to uh, Phil and myself, uh, perhaps to um, other leaders of, of Thrive to discuss further. Um, maybe we can chat about it in social sessions as well over summer. Um, this graphic shows you uh, those seven dispensations that Phil's just introduced us to. Um, uh, innocence, conscience, human government, promise, law, church and kingdom. Um, we're we're going to go into each of these uh, looking at kind of key scriptures uh, and as Phil said um, what God's uh, promises were in each of them, uh, the ways in which humanity uh, failed to uh, fulfill God's uh, requests or commands of us and um, so the consequences that befell uh, that lead into uh, the next dispensation. We see this kind of this pattern, uh, this narrative unfolding as the scripture goes on. Okay, so let's look at the first dispensation, which is the dispensation of innocence. Um, and these are the passages from Genesis, which we're looking at in a moment. To put it into a nutshell, Adam and Eve are in the Garden of Eden, and God commands them to multiply. They're to be stewards, to look after the earth, the animals, and the garden. They're to trust God, and they're forbidden from eating from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And as we know, this dispensation was remarkably short-lived, and it was brought to an end by Adam and Eve's disobedience in eating the forbidden fruit and in their expulsion from the garden. So that's the responsibility that man's given and failure, um, which all happens all too quickly. Okay, next slide. I wonder if we could have a volunteer um, to read uh, these scriptures from Genesis. 
I'm trying to get everyone's faces on my screen. Do you want to just wave? Friend, I can see Helen's hand is up. Um, Helen, thank you. Would you read these two scriptures for us? Sorry. <laughs> okay, I'll read them from the screen instead of from my own Bible. Nice. Right. Genesis 1, tw verse 28. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living thing that moves on the ground. Sorry. Um, and then Genesis 2, verses 15 to 17. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Thank you, Helen, well read. And um, we'll move on. Those are those key scriptures that Phil's identified for the first dispensation. Okay, so as a result of that, um, there are certain aspects of that. There were the um, curse, there was the judgment which was placed on man, and then we enter into the second dispensation. Um, and this covers the time period from Adam and Eve's eviction from the garden up until the flood. Um, God had made himself known, but people showed that humanity will do, if left to our fallen nature, we'll do what we want to do. And that's basically what happens next. The results of the first failure in the first dispensation of innocence is that there's the curses on the serpent who has tempted Eve. There's curses on the woman and the man. And these comprise things such as you will have to fill the fields and work for the sweat of your own brow to provide, brow to provide you fruit, um, women and the pains of childbirth. But there is most importantly, the promise of salvation in a prophecy of Christ. And this is made right at the very beginning in Genesis, in, in the book of Genesis. And the major aspects of dispensation are that there is the promise that the um, Christ will bruise the serpent's head and the serpent will bruise the woman's seed's heel, which is Christ being killed, he later rises from the dead, but it will strike the serpent and reduce his power on man. So that's the main part. Could we have the next slide for the um, verses that relate to this, please? Sure. I find that absolutely awesome that there's a prophecy of Jesus that you can read into um, Genesis. I think Oregon, one of the uh, early church theologians, might have been the first to identify that and to argue for that. Um, just mind-blowing, really, if God was um, uh, prophesying 
the death and resurrection of Jesus as early as the book of Genesis. So uh, maybe a, a volunteer again for this scripture. People wave frantically if you can. I can see Sarah. Thank you so much. So this reading is from Genesis chapter 6, verses 5 to 8. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created, for I regret that I have made them. But Noah found favour in the eyes of the Lord. Thank you. Well read. Brilliant. So let's uh, find how that fits into what we're uh, sharing here. Right. Um, before we go into that, um, if, if we look at the time between the fall of man, Adam and Eve and Noah, we not only need to look at some things which happened very early on in the book of Genesis, um, when Cain and Abel were the sons of Adam and Eve. And uh, as it happened, um, Cain became a tiller of the land, labored for food, for grain, and Abel, his brother, uh, became a, a rearer of livestock. And they came to make their offerings to God and Cain's offering of grain was a symbol of the fruit of man's labors. And it becomes a symbol of man trying to become right with God by deeds, by the work of his own hands. Whereas Abel came and brought a sacrifice of animals and the blood of the animals is a type of the blood of Christ, which brings us into a right relationship with God. And Abel's sacrifice was acceptable in the sight of the Lord. The result of that was that Cain murdered Abel. And that is just the first of many things that happen within the book of Genesis. You can read it through. It's fascinating. There's all sorts in there. And you could really go into each of these dispensations as a whole topic in itself. Um, but we're just glossing over it at the moment. I'd only bring that in just to illustrate the things that there are within that particular second dispensation, which you might find absolutely fascinating when you look at it in relation to the over overview that we're giving you today. Brilliant. And for a Bronze Age text... Uh, it is so real, the way it describes um, human behaviour, uh, the jealousy, the murders, the um, uh, as, as, as we said, what humanity will do if left to our own uh, devices. Um, quite, quite phenomenal. I think we're on the third dispensation now, aren't we? Um, yeah. So following uh, God being dismayed with what people do when left to our own devices, he makes that pledge that Sarah read for us. And here we are in the third dispensation. Right. So this dispensation, there's been a flood. 
Noah and his family have been saved along with all the animals that they've gathered into the ark. Uh, they come out of the ark um, onto dry land and God makes a promise to them that he will not flood the earth again, destroy all life. And his sign for that promise is the rainbow in the sky. The people are given the command that they are to replenish the earth with people and that they will have stewardship over creation. So that's the start of the next dispensation, which we come into. And here are the Bible readings that go with it. So once again, if someone would love to give that reading a go, uh, give us a wave. I think, Maria, is your hand up or are you scratching your face? <laughs> scratching her face. I'll read it. Uh, uh, oh, fantastic. Thank you, Maria. And um, Hilary will take you next. And Richard, I think we've probably got other readings um, ahead. So thank you guys for volunteering. Uh, Maria, you take this one. But Genesis 11, verses 7 to 9. Noah's descendants did not do as God commanded. The people began building the Tower of Babel as a great monument to their pride. God brought the construction to a halt and scattered them to fill the earth as he had commanded. Brilliant. Thank you. Absolutely. So this is uh, one of the key pivot points in um, the narrative of Genesis. Uh, we've had a good creation. Uh, we've had humanity and uh, some of the angels rejecting God's sovereignty and turning against him and uh, this is often one of the uh, pivot points where if you're sh uh, shortening it from seven dispensations to say uh, three um, this is one of those those points some some scholars will say that there's the Adamic period under uh, God's plan with Adam um, fill the earth uh, look after it um, don't eat the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil then there's the what's called the Noahide um, uh, uh, so the the covenant with Noah and this is one of those uh, key moments hence it's taught in uh, in um, Sunday schools even though it's apparently about a mass extinction event and you'd think that wouldn't be something we'd share with kids but uh, here we go it's one of those key moments in scripture we've got um, this uh, bible verse on it I think Hillary I wonder if you'd uh, take this one. Genesis 11, 8 to 9. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. Great, and that's taken us into uh, this next piece, um, where... Uh, after the flood, uh, the people gathered together once again, started to act out their pride and their conceit. Now, uh, once again, God humbled them, uh, scattered them, and yet uh, still uh, reached out, made a promise, uh, made a covenant. Um, Phil, am I taking this one? I think I am. Yes, I believe you are. Fantastic. Thank you. So um, uh, the, after the Adamic and the Noahide covenants um some scholars then identify the abrahamic uh, covenant and and that pretty much um uh, th those three are, are the big three uh, before M moses and um 
uh, this section of scripture straddles Genesis and goes into Exodus. Um, it's the call of Abraham. Um, the fourth dispensation is called the dispensation of promise, starting with the call of Abraham. Uh, it continues through the lives of the patriarchs. It ends with the exodus of the Jewish people from Egypt. Uh, it's a period of about 430 years, uh, if you count the, uh, the chronology in the text itself. Uh, during this dispensation, God developed a great nation that he had chosen uh, as his people uh, over this period of Genesis 12 into Exodus 19. The basic promise during the dispensation of promise was the Abrahamic covenant. Um, here are some of the key points of that unconditional covenant. Firstly, that from Abraham would come a great nation that God would bless with natural and spiritual prosperity. Uh, secondly, that God would make Abraham's uh, name great. Um, uh, th what I'm saying here doesn't exactly correspond with what you're seeing. I've summarized the, the bullet points on screen. And um, thirdly, that God would bless those that blessed Abraham's descendants and curse those that curse Abraham's descendants. Uh, additionally, that in Abraham, all the families of the earth would be blessed. Uh, and um, again, since earliest times, Christian uh, philosophers and theologians have seen this as being fulfilled in uh, Jesus and his work of salvation. We've got another reading now. I think, Richard, you kindly put your hand up. Would you uh, unmute and read this scripture for us? Uh, Richard, you're muted. We need you to unmute. I wonder if you can find your unmute button. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you all, the families of the earth will be blessed. Beautifully read. Thank you. Uh, the Bible, of course, makes much of this dispensation and dwells on it quite a lot uh, on the Abrahamic covenant for reasons that will probably become apparent in the uh, next few slides. Bill, I think, is this? You? Yep. Yes, it is indeed. Right. Then we go right through um, Abraham and the covenant um, which uh, was given to Abraham is renewed um, with his descendants. So that continues through. Um, and we end up with 12 tribes of Israel. So then we go into the, the giving of the law. Um, and this is a time period uh, which was about 1,500 years in total. Uh, God dealt specifically with the Jewish nation through the Mosaic Covenant or the law. For example, following the Ten Commandments and making sacrifices at the temple. When people strayed from the law, God sent prophets to correct them. But the people's disobedience ultimately lost them the promised land and they were oppressed by foreigners. And this um, really goes through Moses. Um, when, when the... Uh, children of Abraham who had been commanded to live in Canaan and instead they went to live in Egypt during the famine and the result of that was that they became 
a nation um, under bondage to the Egyptians. And Moses was the um, savior of the Jewish nation. Uh, he's the type of Christ. He brought them out from Egypt and into the, um, into the promised land or to the borders of the promised land. He uh, died before he was allowed because he wasn't allowed to enter into us another story and in the Jewish people have been given the law which had been given really for their own benefit to put them give them guidelines as to what they were supposed to do um, unfortunately instead of using it as guidelines it became used for political purposes by the leaders of the Jewish people by the Pharisees um, and the Sadducees and Eventually, um, we end up with them being sent into um, Babylon for one of their uh, periods of uh, incarceration in another nation before they come back in to rebuild the temple. And then we go on to the next dispensation, which is when, uh, when Christ comes onto the scene as the saviour of, of the nation and of the all believers in the world awesome so we have come to the end of the old testament um with uh that dispensation that concludes um into the new dispensation some scholars uh, would suggest that it starts that the next dispensation of grace starts with perhaps the birth of jesus uh, others with the teaching uh, ministry of jesus others with the death uh, or resurrection of jesus um, many conclude that it's with the birth of the church at Pentecost, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit uh, on those first believers. Um, you might be happy to know that we're not going to take quite as long over the New Testament as we took over the Old Testament, um, essentially because it is all one dispensation and it's the same dispensation under which we now live. Um, I'll hand you back to Phil. Right. So just a brief um, thing. Christ was the saviour that was promised and fulfilled all of the biblical prophecies about the saviour um, he offered himself up to the nation um, but was rejected and he was rejected by the um, authorities as well because they decided that it was expedient that one man should die to save the nation of Israel because if they'd um, taken Christ as their leader at that stage they feared that the Romans would come and destroy the Jewish nation in its entirety. So Christ was crucified, he was raised from the dead, and then we come into this, what we're now living in, which is the church age. And it's a new covenant of Christ. Um, and as we see here, some say it started with Christ's ministry. Others say Pentecost. And others say it was Christ's entry into Jerusalem. Um, on the donkey uh, prior, prior to his death. Some suggest this will end with the rapture uh, or with the return of Jesus. And these include both the Jews as well as the Gentiles. Let us not forget that the first people who believed in Christ and became Christians were Jewish people who converted to Christian faith. Uh, through what they'd witnessed and what they believed. And Gentiles were brought in later in, at Pentecost 
and then they became part of the church they're cleft into the same vine as the jews but god has not rejected the jews and they have a part to play later on and that's um one of the key uh, points actually that i i'd love us to all draw from this session um if those earlier dispensations and those earlier covenants um so adam um noah uh, the, those initial dispensations were global um uh, for all people god then chooses uh, the descendants of abraham because of his faith uh, his his uh, his faithfulness to god and um that's where the special promises to his descendants come from um it's an interesting fault line though this is kind of where uh, judaism and christianity and some of the debate that that we sort of started with uh, originates from um some theologians argue uh, that uh, christianity has superseded judaism uh, this is sometimes called covenant theology it's emphasizing that there's the old covenant or old testament uh, and that there's a new covenant or the new testament um, that god worked through two distinct covenants and that the uh, old has been superseded by the new it's therefore sometimes called supersessionism uh, or even replacement theology due to the perception that uh, it teaches that god has abandoned the promises made to the jews and has replaced the jews with Christians as his chosen people uh, on the earth. But I'd, I'd passionately agree with what Phil said, and that, that, that's that this view, the covenant theology, uh, is, is not really sustainable from scripture, um, that God hasn't abandoned his promises to the Jews, that he's simply incorporated non-Jews into uh, the promises that he made to the descendants of Abraham. I think St Paul especially draws this out in some of his epistles, in the New Testament, where he talks about Gentiles being like, um, uh, he uses a plant analogy that plants uh, can be grafted into other plants. So he suggests Gentiles are grafted into um, the family of Israel. And so there's no replacement here. It's uh, simply a, an expansion or adding to. And um, one of those scriptures we had earlier on, Genesis 12, 1 to 3, I will make you a great nation and I will bless you. Uh, I'll make your name great. These promises are to Abraham, his descendant. And so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. So uh, some Christians have become anti-Semitic, um, have become uh, anti-Jewish and have suggested that Christianity supersedes uh, Judaism. I I'd want to steer them to Genesis 12, uh, 1 to 3. Um, I I'm not sure if that's you today. Uh, or, or if you encounter folk around you who might hold to the belief that Christianity has replaced Judaism, I'd, I'd encourage or invite you to uh, point them towards Genesis 12, 1 to 3, and that reminder that God gives this unconditional, uh, timeless, eternal promise to the biological descendants of Abraham, and that St Paul suggests that we as Jews become spiritual uh, descendants with, not instead of, uh, the Jews. So our final dispensation over to you, Phil. Right. Well, just before the um, final dispensation of Christ's kingdom, at the end of the um, Age of Grace, um, there are several things which happen and which are foretold in the Bible, one of which you may have come um, across, which is called the tribulation, which is a, a period of great trial on the earth where 
There's wars, there's signs in the heavens and the earth, earthquakes, wars, rumors of wars, and up to half the world population being killed. Um, and this culminates um, then with the return of Christ in glory. And then we start the, this age, which is Christ's kingdom. Uh, this kingdom will fulfill the prophecy of the Jewish nation that Christ will return and be their king. And it ends with the final judgment. Um, I think that's sometimes called a white throne judgment. Um, pain and death are destroyed and the new heaven and the new earth of Revelation 21 and 22 will begin. So that's what's in store for us. Um, we're not sure whether, when, when exactly the rapture will occur, which is foretold. Some people believe that it will happen before the tribulation. Some think people think it will end at a, it will happen at another stage. But you will come across the terms um, rapture, tribulation, um, and that in relation to the return of Christ in glory. Brilliant. That's a really helpful um, point for some discussion on as, as well. Um, so uh, as you allude to, Phil, there are several different views on um, when these events that you can uh, identify discussed in, say, Revelation uh, occur in relation to one another, partly because Revelation isn't a chronological uh, text. It's very rich in symbolism. Um, partly it's talking a, a judgment on uh, the persecutions in the Roman Empire at the time it was written. Um, partly it's using symbolism perhaps to foretell uh, future events. Um, and so scholars disagree on how much of this is stuff that will happen in the future uh, and in what order it will happen in the future um, or whether it's happening now and in what order we might expect it to be happening now. Um, I think for me, the key thing that I'd, I'd always want to come back to is, as you say, those promises of Revelation 21, 22, um, the, the closing chapters of Revelation uh, foretell um, pain and death uh, being destroyed. Uh, it says that God will wipe away our tears. So uh, even the memory of former things of pain and death will be no more. Uh, I, I love to focus on those the, those positive sides of it. The, there, there are some uh, folk on the Internet, I think, that you can encounter who get quite hooked on um, uh, studying the different beasts and um, uh, 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 angels and other symbolism that we get throughout Revelation. You can get some very responsible commentaries. You can get some quite um, uh, uh, unique ones. But uh, keeping your uh, heart and your mind fixed on what Christ has done for us and um, that good news promise of Revelation 21, 22, uh, for me is a helpful uh, hermeneutic key or kind of way to read Revelation, a uh, thing to keep in mind. Before we close, um, I'll just uh, summarise or we'll, we'll summarise together what one or two uh, key points, I suppose. Um, I, I think one of the major pivot points in, in the dispensation theology that we've summarised uh, in this last hour together is that pivot between law and grace that God had given to the people of Israel uh, under Moses uh, the law in the desert setting out ways to uh, do right by one another and to honor his name um, so things ways to treat one another and to worship him uh, in gratitude for the way that he liberated 
his people from Egypt. That's the law. Um, Paul suggests that the law is, uh, in a way, a tutor to show us that we're wrong. Uh, he says that we will always fall short, uh, that there's no one uh, who can perfectly keep the law. Phil pointed out that even Moses, uh, the great leader of the Israelites in that period, uh, was actually prevented from entering the promised land himself because of falling short. Uh, and so uh, you could see the law is in some ways bad news. Um, Messianic Jews would, would argue that it's, it's possible always to make a sacrifice to atone for falling short. And so the law in itself offers a solution to the problem it poses that, yes, you'll fall short, but yes, there are ways uh, to um, seek redemption. And so you have those major uh, moments in the Jewish calendar of seeking redemption. And, um, and, and yet uh, the New Testament uh, emphasis uh, often in um, the words of Jesus is grace trumps law. Uh, think of those scenes, for example, where a group of people brought a woman who had been caught in adultery uh, to Jesus's feet and said, the law requires that we stone her to death. Um, and uh, what do you what do you say we should do? And Jesus so powerfully and wisely says to them, well, whichever one of you has never sinned, you know, whichever one of you is without sin, is currently living in a sinless state, uh, whichever one of you uh, is without sin can throw the first stone. Uh, the wiser men gathered there uh, realised that they couldn't throw a stone. They turned away and one by one, everyone uh, just uh, steps off and disappears. And Jesus and the woman are left uh, together. And um, uh, that that powerful uh, incident that we have recorded in the Gospels, I think, is a, a great way to capture that uh, chasm in a way between grace and law, uh, that dispensation of law and that dispensation uh, of grace. Um, before we close in prayer, uh, I want to say thank you to um, Phil. Thank you so much. Um, can we give him a, a round of applause? Maybe uh, unmute. I'm not sure if he's got a good video or can see everyone's faces. Thank you so much for coming. If you would like any more information, please go to the website www.spaceforfaith.co.uk.